You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. I will be doing a reading from 1 Corinthians. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that this does not include the one who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will, be, will also be subjected to the one who put all things in subjection under him, so that God may be all in all. This is the word of the Lord. What is that thing that you do, that when you do it, you think, oh man, that's something my dad would do. Or maybe it's something that when you say it, you think, oh, that sounded just like my mom. And you know that your, your spouse will often sometimes say things like, you know, <laughs> you sounded like your dad when you said that. And, you know, you think, what? No, I'm my own person. The other night I was watching TV and I had my, my legs crossed and I was rubbing my feet together, my bare feet together. And for some reason, hearing the sound of my feet rubbing together suddenly made me realize that on many nights as we would watch the CBS Evening News, we would sit in front of the TV and my father would sit on the couch and he would rub his bare feet together. And I suddenly realized there is nothing new under the sun. And I looked over and Henry next to me was rubbing his feet together. And my mom, my mom has always appreciated a clean house. But if we had company coming over, you had best be prepared to spend the day cleaning the baseboards, dusting behind the furniture, and helping to prepare a four-course meal. I would always say to myself, my word. Why does my mom get so worked up when company comes over? But now, when we're having company over, I drive Jess and the kids crazy with a drill sergeant routine of making sure that the house is spick and spanned. There are these quirky habits that we get from our parents, and, and, and they are wonderful things that we inherit from our parents. I have a fierce sense of independence that comes from my dad, and I love showing hospitality, and that comes from my mom. There are other things that people can struggle with that come from their parents that are not quite as beneficial. Studies continue to tell us 
that things like addiction, poverty, and abuse are all forms of brokenness that can be passed on from one generation to another. It, it, it's almost as if there is this part of ourselves that is within us that we can never completely get rid of and we don't have much control over. But it is part of who we are. This passage from 1 Corinthians says that we are all children of Adam. And there is something that we do that has been passed on from one generation to the next. And that thing is death. When the Bible speaks about death, it tends to do so in two different ways. The first way that death is spoken of is we might call it death with a small d. And that's simply the acknowledgement that we are mortal, that we are finite, and that one day we will cease to live. We have a lifespan. We're born. We live. We die. We are human. The writer of Ecclesiastes reflects upon death and says this, The same fate comes to all, to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good, so are the sinners. There is an acceptance of this small d death that is healthy. And especially for those of us who profess faith in Jesus Christ, because we know that this small d death, while it is painful, is actually just a passage that leads us towards being in the presence of Christ. A widow who has seen her husband in pain and in agony can comfortably say, I miss him terribly. My heart is broken. But in some ways, this small d death can come as a blessing. But there is another way that the Bible speaks about death. Not small d death, but big d death. And this is something that is not just mere mortality. This is death at its worst. This is a malevolent force that seems to run around the world causing pain and destruction and heartache. This death is not an act, it's not a moment, it is a very way of being. Because big D death wants to capture territory in God's world. It wants to dehumanize institutions. It wants to poison all relationships. It wants to set people against people. It wants to replace love with hate. It wants to turn warm hope into cold cynicism. Death wants to turn neighbor against neighbor. Death wants to replace the beautiful, intentional creativity of God with ugly, random chance. And in our passage for today, Paul says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
And when he talks about death in this way, he's talking about big D death. But here's the most terrifying part of all this. Paul says that death, yes, even big D death, has a home. And its home is in our hearts. Every human being carries this power of death within us. Now that's certainly not a popular message in today's culture. I was recently at an airport and I saw a woman at the airport terminal reading a book called There's Nothing Wrong With Me. And right next to her was another woman who was reading a book called I Am Not Broken. Now I understand the good intentions that books like that have. They want people to feel a sense of confidence about themselves. And they want to rid themselves of harmful, self-inflicted anxiety. And I completely understand that. But there is something wrong with me. And I am broken. And I'm just being polite, because so are you. And I don't think it does us or the world any good to pretend otherwise. In the novel Moby Dick, the character Ishmael at one point in the novel says this, Have mercy on us all, Presbyterians and pagans, for we are all knocked in the head and in need of healing. We have all heard of horrific stories of violence and murder and bloodshed that completely upend and revile us. But perhaps the biggest mistake we can make is believing that the people who participate in such terrible crimes are somehow completely other or completely foreign than us. One of my favorite musicians is called Sufjan Stevens. And on one of his albums, he has a song that's titled John Wayne Gacy Jr. The song recounts some of the horrible and terrible things that John Wayne Gacy Jr. did. But it ends with these haunting lines. And in my best behavior... I am really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets I have hid. During the Nuremberg trials of some of the Nazi organizers of the Holocaust, people constantly commented on the fact that as they listened to these horrific events being read aloud in that courtroom, they were struck at how terribly ordinary these men seemed. They looked like people you could run into at the grocery store, like people you could see on a treadmill at the gym, like people you might sit next to in a church. For Paul, big D death works together with the power of sin. 
We might call that big S sin. When Paul writes about sin, he actually usually doesn't write about little s sins. He doesn't write a lot about naughty actions or wrongdoings. When Paul writes about sin, he writes like it's an infectious disease that we can never cure ourselves of. And for Paul, for the Corinthians, Paul is trying to get them to understand that a proper way of viewing the resurrection has to begin with the idea and the acknowledgement that we carry with us that power of death and that power of sin. In the 1960s, the theologian William Stringfellow was asked to lecture at Harvard University. And he was asked to lecture both by the business school and by the divinity school. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to talk about the powers of sin and death in the world. So he first talked to the seminarians at the divinity school, but they mostly yawned or rolled their eyes. They said things like talking about sin and death in the world was archaic and out of date. Then he went to the business school. And the business students were on the edge of their seats and they were enthralled and they kept Stringfellow long past his hour that he was supposed to be there. And they told him about numerous examples of death dealing powers at work in corporations and in the business world. I guess it turns out that spending a little time on Wall Street seems to convince you of the reality of sin and death. And the powers of sin and death are at home in each of us. The writer C.S. Lewis in his book Mere Christianity says this, When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep when you are awake, not while you are sleeping. You see mistakes in arithmetic when your mind is working properly. While you are making them, you cannot see them. You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you are sober, not when you are drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. We are all broken. There is something wrong with us. Adam is our father, and we take after him. We cannot help it. We have the same quirky habits of brokenness, the same habits of sin that follow us. And there is a part of ourselves that we cannot fix, and it is the part that we carry death within us. But we try to fix it ourselves, don't we? We can't. We can't. Now don't misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong with 
efforts at self-improvement, knowing about our personalities, focusing on our emotional health, getting treatments for our addictions and compulsions is important work in our lives. But the big D death and the big S sin that we carry cannot be conquered through our own efforts no matter what we try. But Paul tells us, exactly what can be victorious over big D death and sin. And that is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says this in Romans, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin. And death. The freedom that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul wants the Corinthians to see. That we are free from the slavery to sin and the powers of sin and death. And that, my friends, is the gospel. And in our passage from 1 Corinthians... Paul is trying to get these folks and and trying to get you and I to understand that we often buy into a neutered idea of resurrection. We clip the wings of resurrection. The Corinthians are guilty of turning the resurrection into an ethereal pop psychology mutation of itself. And instead... They're selling it short. What they ought to be viewing it as is God's sign of victory over sin and over death. Death, the last enemy, has been defeated. We need to hear that. A friend of mine that I went to seminary with, when we were in school, she lost her brother in a terrible accident. When we finally saw her again after she came back to Kansas City, we were looking at 1 Corinthians, and we were specifically in one of our classes looking at this passage. When we read that Paul says that death is the last enemy, she burst into tears. And she said, I'm so thankful to have read that. Because throughout my brother's service, people said well-meaning things about how this is part of God's plan. They said things like, he's not really gone. She said, I kept thinking, I want this enemy defeated. I don't want to hear a bunch of mumbo-jumbo that belongs in a Hallmark card. I want someone to tell me this is wrong. And one day it'll be made right again. Paul says that death is not a simple passing into another life. It is an enemy. And it will be defeated. That means that we have hope for this life and we have hope in life after death. We have hope for this life. Because even as we live and move and breathe and work, 
if we align ourselves to Jesus Christ, our very identity is changed. We are justified before God. And we can begin to practice the kingdom of God in the here and the now. Theologians call this practice, this process rather, sanctification. We are becoming more and more sanctified, more and more like Jesus. The theologian Sam Alberry says that sanctification is about us trying to reduce the culture shock that will occur when we get to heaven. We have hope in this life that we are no longer slaves to sin and to death. And we have hope in life after this one. Because the amazing hope of the resurrection is that both big D death and small d death are defeated. In the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is victorious over the powers of death. The German theologian Jürgen Moltmann says this, that in the cross of Jesus Christ, death will die. Not being will be no longer Hell will go to hell. One of my favorite Christian writers was Rachel Held Evans. I've seen her speak several times, uh, and I've always, always, always appreciated her perspective. I I didn't always agree with her all the time, but I was always thankful for the ways that she pushed me into thinking about grace in new in bombastic ways. I've been thinking a lot about her writing lately. Uh, On May 4th, Rachel died. In April, she went into the hospital with the flu, and she experienced some complications from some antibiotics um, from an allergic reaction that she had to the antibiotics. She was 37. She left behind a husband, Dan, and two small children, Harper and Henry. One of her books is called Searching for Sunday. It's about Rachel's honest struggles about life and about faith and about church. And she was was so gifted at being vulnerable and honest about her questions and her doubts and her struggles. There's a passage that I want to read to you from her book. It's a few paragraphs, but I think in light of her passing, it has a lot more significance. She says this, death and resurrection, it's the impossibility around which every other impossibility of the Christian faith orbits. Baptism declares that God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. So if you want in on God's business, you better prepare to follow God to all the rock bottom, scorched earth, dead on arrival corners of this world, including those in your own heart. Because that's where God works. That's where God gardens. Baptism reminds us that there's no ladder to holiness to climb, no self-improvement plan to follow. It's just death and resurrection 
over and over again, day after day, as God reaches down into our deepest graves and with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, rest us from our pride, our apathy, our fear, our prejudice, our anger, our hurt, and our despair. Most days, I don't know which is harder for me to believe. That God reanimated the brain functions of a man three days dead, or that God can bring back to life all the beautiful things we have killed. Both seem pretty unlikely to me. Everyone's got an opinion these days about why people are leaving the church. Some wish to solve the problem by making Christianity a little more palatable. You know, cut out all this weird mystical stuff about sin and demons and death and resurrection and replace it with self-help books or politics or fancy theological systems or hip coffee shops. But sometimes, I think what the church needs most is to recover some of its weird. There's no sense in sending the church through the makeover montage of the chick flick when she will always be the strange, awkward, nerdy girl who only gets invited to prom on a dare. In the ritual of baptism, our ancestors acted out the bizarre truth of the Christian identity. We are people who stand totally exposed before sin and evil and death and we declare them powerless against the love of God. And there is nothing normal about that. What the church needs most is to recover some of its weird. What the church needs most is to keep declaring to the world the that through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the powers of sin and death are defeated. There's nothing normal about that. But there's nothing more beautiful than that. Let's pray. God, we are seeking to be people of your resurrection. We want to be your Easter people in this world. We ask that you help us to acknowledge that there is a part of ourselves that is broken that we will never, ever, ever be able to cure on our own. And we can only deal with by laying it before you in the light of your death and resurrection. That is the only thing that can be victorious over the powers of sin and death in this world and in our own hearts. So we invite that spirit into our lives. In the name of the risen Christ we pray. Amen.